welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, you'll be hearing my conversation with actress slash model slash producer slash writer Victoria Vertuga. Actually, the first interview that I'm putting out on this podcast in quite some time. But first, we are discussing comedies. Uh, she's actually going to be promoting her uh, new web series called Disgraced, which is kind of a, a satire on the inner workings of the film industry. So I thought, why not, as a nice little tie-in, do uh, top 10 comedy films? Because I think, uh, and as I see in the chat, we've already got a few people watching. Uh, Carlos Longoria, he says, good evening, everyone. Good evening, Carlos. Uh, fun and looking forward to see what Double D thinks is funny. Yeah, I, I have a feeling you're not the only person who's going to say that. Wade Vatican is also watching as well. Good evening. This is the Facebook Live portion of the podcast. And I know I said a few weeks ago, actually it might have been two weeks ago, that um, I was taking a little bit of a break from doing the live shows. Well, I figured this was a holiday weekend. I'll have Monday off. I'm actually doing this live show on Sunday evening for those who are listening on the download. And I figured, you know, why not Why not do it? I still have the week to just kind of do whatever. Oh, Carla says, number one, Star Wars. <laughs> um, I will say the, um, the parody of Star Wars did make my list. Chad Sanders is watching as well. Here's a post for Derek to say live on Facebook. Well, there you go, Chad. I have said your post. So... Um, comedies, believe it or not, those who maybe like know a little bit about me, because I've heard some people say that they don't think that I'm a fan of comedies, and that's quite the opposite. You know, I like a good drama, I love a good sci-fi film, I love a good adventure film, but you know, I love to laugh just like everyone else does. And my list kind of ranges from the 80s era of comedy. You know, I grew up watching movies like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, Major League, Ferris Bueller, films of that era. And then, of course, there's some, some newer ones as well that some have other genres, but I'd still classify them as comedies because it's a big integral part of what their story is and the tone of the film. So uh, Wade says, Spaceballs, oh shit, there goes the planet. I haven't seen Spaceballs in such a long time, and it's a really fun movie. Uh, easily one of my favorite parodies uh, that I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, I don't have too much to say as far as things, you know, updates on the podcast, because things are just still going to keep going. You know, still no word on baseball. So whether it's doing these top 10 shows every other week, or once a month like I had originally planned. The The podcast is still, you know, it's very open and fluid right now. Um, I will say next week's show is going to be strictly an interview that I, I'll touch on. Uh, for those who are listening on the download, you'll hear about it in the close of the show. But it was actually a really informative interview and went nearly an hour. So um, that's going to be... You know, the first time in almost a year that the episode will be strictly an interview, but it's really good. So hopefully you guys will listen to that. But that's for next week. Let's get into my list for top 10 comedies. 
I will preface this by saying there are a ton of honorable mentions, more so than I have for any other list that I've done, whether it's on this show or on the Daily Diamond. So honorable mentions, Beverly Hills Cop released in 1984. Uh, really funny movie. My favorite Eddie Murphy movie. Uh, I know Coming to America was really good too, but the, the classic Banana and the Tailpipe gets me every time when it comes to this movie. I, I love Beverly Hills Cop. Shaun of the Dead, really good horror film and also a very funny movie. Uh, it had, to me, the perfect blend of the genre. It's not just a great comedy, but it's a great film in general. And I, I love Shaun of the Dead. I, I like Hot Fuzz a little bit more, and that's on my honorable mentions as well. But Shaun of the Dead is is really good. Uh, the Naked Gun, I haven't seen it too many times, and I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But the quote that always stands out to me, and I, I use this every now and then, is that it's not goodbye, I'm just never going to see you again. I absolutely love that quote. Um, Office Space, you know, it's a, a cult classic. It, everything from the the copier or the fax machine, I can't remember exactly what it was, being destroyed with the gangster music playing in the background. Uh, the, the stapler bit. Lumberg, of course, is uh, probably my favorite character in that whole movie. Yeah, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday, okay? Something, you know, lines like that that were just so dry. I, I absolutely loved them. Uh, Airplane, the original parody movie. Uh, I will say I didn't see this movie until I think I was in high school. And I had already watched Unsolved Mysteries, so seeing Robert Stack in an actual movie was really cool. Because I only knew him as the Unsolved Mysteries guy. But, you know, the, the, the clever lines like, you know, I am serious and don't call me Shirley. And the whole, you know, older lady speaking jive is absolutely genius. Idiocracy would be on there too, and it's funny because that it's kind of a precursor. You know, this because it was released in 2006. It was kind of a precursor of what society would become, you know, nearly 15 years later, which is kind of crazy. Days to Confused, uh, released in 1993. I guess I should have mentioned... That the preface behind this list, and also to make it a little more challenging, is you can only pick one, like, say you have two comedies that are released in 1985, you can only pick one. The other can be an honorable mention, but when it comes to top ten, only one comedy per year. <coughs> um, Dazed and Confused, Matthew McConaughey, that's all I'll say. It was all right, all right, all right. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mentioned, you know, watching comedies from that era that I loved. Um, that that era, like 80, to me, like 84 to 88 or 89 was such a, to me, the golden age of comedies specifically. I mean, I love movies from that era in general, but so many great comedies from that era. And we'll we'll get to some more of them here in a bit. And my other is uh, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, the original one. The sequel was really funny too, but you know, Austin Powers essentially is a parody of, of James Bond, and I thought those movies were hilarious growing up. I actually haven't seen any of them since I was in college, because you know, Goldmember came out in 2002, I believe, 
2002 or 2003, because I was still in high school at the time. And it was, to me, the worst of the three. But um, I, I still, I love the original two. They have so many funny and stupid quotes. And to me, Mike Myers' career, you know, it kind of floundered after that. But let's see what's going on in the chat before I get into my top 10. Let's see. My mother is watching. Thank you for watching, Mom. Uh, Wade, Trading Places, another one that Eddie came out with in 84. Yeah, that's another good one, too. Uh, Bill Lyons has joined. He says, hey, kids. Yeah, Wade, don't forget to put the new cover sheet on your TPS reports. Uh, Bill Lyons, Austin almost made my list, hit with a huge splash with our age group. Yeah, I mean, people still quote those movies. I, I do regret that they never made a fourth one. Oh, where are my laser beams? Uh, they're on the ill-tempered sea bass. Uh, so if you can find those, you'll find your laser beams, Bill. So let's dive into the top 10. My number 10 is Semi-Pro, starring Will Ferrell and Woody Harrelson. This was released in 2008. I didn't appreciate this movie when it first came out. Like, I thought it was funny, but it wasn't anywhere like Anchorman or even you know some of his movies that came out after that. But where I gained the appreciation for this movie was when I started working in minor league baseball because this is such an accurate portrayal of what minor league sports is like with the goofy promotions, with the wacky characters. It's kind of scary accurate watching it now. And like I said, it's a movie that... I appreciate now more so than I did when it came out. I didn't see it in theaters. I remember getting it on DVD and watching it on some weekend at like one o'clock in the morning when, um, you know, I was still living with my parents. But yeah, Semi Pro is a fun movie. You know, my a funny story that has to do with, with Semi Pro. So Tommy Thrall, who is currently the broadcaster for the Cincinnati Reds, he used to be our, our broadcaster from, I think, 2012 to yeah, 2018 was his, his last season. This had to have been in 2015 because I think that was when we were all going through a huge semi-pro phase. There's a scene in, in the movie when um, Jackie Moon, who is Will Ferrell's character, wrestles a bear in a cage match. So we decide to have some fun at Tommy's expense. So we're playing the Mobile Bay Bears. And you know, Tommy's just broadcasting, you know, in his his booth and we're kind of doing our thing with all the video board stuff and you know what we normally do on field. Well, we had this idea that if the Wahoos were to score 10 runs, then we would make this fake promotion that Tommy Thrall would wrestle a live bear at the next day's game. So we actually made a graphic for it by first we went into Tommy's booth, asked him to turn around and so we could take his picture. So we did, he didn't think anything of it. And uh, anyway, we cut his picture out, put him next to a bear and we actually put it on the video board and made the announcement that, Hey, if the blue Wahoos score 10 runs at tomorrow's game, broadcaster Tommy Thrall will wrestle a live bear we didn't score 10 runs, but it, it was still a, a funny story. 
Uh, number nine is Deadpool, released in 2016. The hype for this movie was pretty high because of all that Ryan Reynolds had to go through in order to, to make this happen, which I'm still convinced that he leaked the test footage, by the way. But that's a discussion for another time. This movie was so freaking funny because Deadpool is famous for breaking the fourth wall. And I was concerned that they were going to overkill it, but they did just enough in order for it to work. But everything, you know, from breaking the fourth wall to the X-Men jokes, to the music, to the one-liners was so freaking funny. You know, one of my favorite parts of the, of the movie is when, um, I can't remember the character's name, but essentially does like the superhero landing where she lands like on her knee and on her fist. And Deadpool's like, watch for the superhero landing. She's going to do the superhero landing. Like, you know, little, little fourth wall references like that to me are, are so, so good. I, I loved everything about this movie. The sequel was really good too, but I, I think the, the original just edges it out for me. Uh, my number eight is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, released in 1987, starring the great Steve Martin and John Candy. I watch this every Thanksgiving morning. And it's funny because this is one of the rare Thanksgiving-centric stories. You know, you, you think of comedies and other movies that are set around holidays. There are a lot of Christmas movies. There are a lot of Fourth of July movies not really any that take place during Thanksgiving or have, you know, a Thanksgiving centric story because, you know, Steve Martin's character is trying to make it home in time for Thanksgiving and John Candy's character, you know, those two meet and then hilarity just ensues because you put those two together and it was absolute magic. Their comedy styles meshed extremely well together with Steve Martin's dry humor and John Candy being wacky John Candy. Of course, you know, my, my favorite scene from this movie is when Steve Martin is trying to rent a car and he goes off on the, the lady at the front desk with just F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb. But it's so well done. And then she retorts back at him where she's like, you do you do you have your your original slip? And he goes, no, I do not. And she said, well, that sucks for you. And he goes, why? And she says, you're effed. And just the timing of it was so freaking hilarious. And the the scenes with them in the hotel, you know, sleeping in the same bed together was so freaking funny. I enjoy watching this every Thanksgiving morning. It was one of my favorite comedies. You know, cause my, my parents were a little lenient with letting me watch comedies from that era. And it was absolutely one of my favorites. Let's see what's going on in the chat here. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah. Bill, the meeting of the league folding. Uh, Wade, eh, borderline comedy slash action slash comic book. Yeah, it had other elements, but it, it, comedy was a big part of why that movie was so good. Uh, Bill, uh, Poole would definitely make the list. Had to think hard, but had to put it in the action category. Uh, PTA, yes, that one scene, though, you know the one. <laughs> yeah, Wade, those aren't pillows. 
Oh, that movie was so good. Uh, number seven is The Hangover, released in 2009. This was arguably my favorite, and this is going to be a topic that I discuss on the Daily Diamond at some point, but this is one of my favorite opening night theater experiences that I I've ever been to because it was like me and five or six friends went. Luckily, we were able to find seats where we could all sit together because the theater was slammed. And people were laughing before the movie even started because you think of that teaser that came out with Mike Tyson singing in the air tonight and then he knocks out Bradley Cooper. And you're like, what in the world is going on? And this movie is just a huge train wreck, but in such a great way. My one gripe of this is that they made sequels to it. Because I did not like either of the sequels that came out afterwards. To me, Hangover 2 was essentially the same movie with uh, just set in a different location. And then the third one, they tried something completely different, which I give them credit for, but it, it just didn't work. Like This was meant to be a one-off comedic story of a friend getting lost in Vegas and friends just going through... Everything from dealing with Mike Tyson and his pet tiger to a naked Asian dude jumping out of a trunk. Oh, it was so funny. And we laughed nonstop during this movie. And I, I haven't watched it in maybe you know, at least six or seven years. I, I've seen it since it came out on DVD, but I haven't watched it in several years. But one of my favorite movie-going experiences, and I didn't put this in my honorable mentions, but Superbad would be another good, like, comedic theater experience for me. Because it was just so hilarious. Uh, oh, yeah, he knocked out Galifianakis. Yeah, that was, um, that, that's my bad. So thank you for correcting me, Wade. Uh, yeah, Carlos, as much as I like The Hangover, it's not one of those movies that I have a desire to watch over and over just once in a while. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Um, it's Like I said, I haven't seen it probably since 2012, 2013 maybe. It's been a long time. Uh, Bill, uh, Mike Tyson, next Avengers villain. If you've seen the videos of him like training for a possible comeback, like he's still scary as hell. Uh, Funden drops in his favorite comedies, Animal House, Caddyshack, Back to School, Slapshot, Sleeper, Polyester, Crybaby, The Jerk, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I forgot that, um, yeah, mentioning the, the Galifianakis thing, I completely forgot about that part of it. It was Bradley Cooper who had the actual exchange with Mike Tyson, talking about how big of a fan he was, so... Yeah, my, my confusion on that. But um, let's go back to my list here. Uh, six is Ghostbusters, released in 1984. And I do count it as a comedy. It does have horror elements in it. But this is... And my friend Wally has deemed this the perfect film. And it's tough to argue that because the script was really clever for the time. And it's got such funny lines like, you know, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, or that's a big Twinkie from uh, Ernie Hudson's character. 
so freaking good. The actors are great. Like it, this has an all-star cast from that era and they all deliver, you know, everything from the dialogue to the situations, you know, or, uh, Bill Murray's character saying, we came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Things like that that are just so funny and quotable. I, I love Ghostbusters. It sucks that the new one was delayed a year because a podcast that I was actually really looking forward to doing this summer is I was going to do a Ghostbusters roundtable leading into Afterlife. Kind of like what we did with Star Wars last year where we did kind of a retrospective on the entire franchise and then come back and review the new one. I was wanting to do that with Afterlife. But sadly, we will have to wait until next year for that. My number five is Spaceballs, released in 1987. Mel Brooks is a comedic genius. Everything from Blazing Saddles to Young Frankenstein to Robin Hood Men in Tights. But Spaceballs is my favorite of all of them. And yeah, it being a knockoff of Star Wars has something to do with that. And some people have asked me, like, you know, were you offended by Spaceballs because you're a fan of Star Wars? And I'm like, no, I, I love the parody stuff. You know, there's so much great Star Wars parody stuff out there from what Family Guy did to Robot Chicken to the Weird Owl song, The Saga Begins, and him essentially making a knockoff of the phantom menace is the music video i i love seeing stuff like that like i think it's hilarious and Spaceballs is at the top of that list when it comes to and it knocks off some other sci-fi stuff too like you know there's a scene that parodies alien but star wars to me is like the what's at the forefront everything from Pizza the Hut to Lone Star being a knockoff of Han Solo, Barf being a knockoff of Chewbacca, Dark Helmet played brilliantly by Rick Moranis. One of my, probably my favorite quote from that movie is the big confrontation that he has with Lone Star. And he says, I am your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. And Lone Star is like, really? What does that make us? absolutely nothing I, it's it's funny it's really funny stuff and of course you know pizza the hut and he died because he ate himself to death just such such funny stuff and mel brooks playing yogurt the parody of yoda it's a shame that we never got the sequel spaceballs to the search for more money but man spaceballs is is a phenomenal Phenomenal movie. Uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Wade, yes, R.I.P. Harold Ramis. Bill Ramis always stole the scene. Yeah, Carlos, I, I'm really hoping Afterlife is going to be good too. And yes, Bill, you you can be on that roundtable, my friend. Uh, yeah. Uh, Wade combing the desert. Yeah, that was probably my favorite scene of the entire movie. Let's see, Chad, how much money do I have to pay to be on the Ghostbusters roundtable? I grew up with the movie. It's a partially responsible for who I am as a person. I have to be there. Yeah, I, I... Well, first of all, Chad, you can absolutely be a part of it. It's funny because like, I know of so many people who want to be a part of that. So what we might have to do is do a two-parter and just have like 
two different sets of people. I mean, I don't want to rehash the same discussion, but... Or who knows, I might just say screw it, and just if we have ten people, we have ten people. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Bill, we ain't found shit. That... <laughs> quote was so freaking funny yeah carlos i i got your i got your list here so we'll um i'll actually save that and i'll uh i'll read that here in a bit uh but my number four is easily my favorite will ferrell movie of all time and that is anchorman the legend of ron burgundy released in 2004 it's crazy to think that movie came out that long ago because I think it came out in December of 04, so I was a freshman in college at that time. I missed the theatrical run, but it was a huge hit on DVD when it came out. And I remember watching this movie for the first time, and I could not breathe during certain parts of it because I was laughing at just the sheer ridiculousness of it. Of course, the highlight is, to me, the, the showdown in the, the parking lot with all the news teams. I can't remember the actual like station name, but the, the, the public broadcasting group were like, public broadcasting has taken a break from its pledge drive to come kick some ass. And Ben Stiller is like, the streets will be covered with Burgundy's blood. It's just so ridiculous. And then... You know, Steve Carell, his character was to me like one of the two characters that made that movie where he's they're like, Brick, where did you get a uh, grenade? I don't know. And then he just gets a trident out of nowhere and he kills a guy with it. And just it's so, so freaking funny. And then, of course, you know, there's so many iconic scenes from that movie. The the jazz flute is one of my favorites. Hey, Aqualung. And Baxter, even though like I hated to see it because I love dogs, but you know Baxter getting punted uh, by Jack Black and uh, Ron Burgundy screaming through the phone, the bad man punted Baxter. Oh my God, that that movie is so so freaking great. Uh, yeah, Bill, I'm sure I'll do one at some point as well. Have to, right? Yeah, we can double dip. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Um, oh yeah, Carlos, one of my favorite parts is the watching Spaceballs the video. What am I looking at? You're looking at now. I forgot about that part. Yeah, that was hilarious too. Uh, number three is Major League, released in 1989. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. And one that I, this is another tradition for me because I watch this the night before every Blue Wahoo's opening day just to get in the right mind frame of baseball. And if you've never seen Major League, you've got to go out of your way to watch it. It is so freaking funny. It's, it earns its R rating, but it's so funny with characters, you know, like Corbin Bernstein's Roger Dorn. Uh, Charlie Sheen's Rick Vaughn, uh, Pedro Serrano, uh, Jake Taylor, Harris, the the aging pitcher. Um, so, so many great quotes, you know, like, oh, oh, and of course, you know, Wesley Snipes, Willie Mays Hayes, and Wesley Snipes, I don't think ever did comedy. 
after that. And he's the source of some of the greatest quotes. You know, there's when he makes the, the basket catch in the outfield and Lou Brown, the manager, says, nice catch, Hayes, don't ever effing do it again. Um, so uh, I, I'm trying to think because there's so many great quotes from that movie. It's where I, I think during spring training when Hayes is trying to, you know, hit, he's try, he wants to be a power hitter, but Lou's telling him, you know, with your speed, you need to put the ball on the ground. And he says, for every, for every ball you hit in the air, you owe me 20 push-ups. And before that, he says, well, you may run like maze, but you hit like shit. Stuff like that, oh my God, is just so, so freaking great. And there are so many other inappropriate moments in that movie. There are sequels to it, but to me, they don't hold a candle to um, the original. I know there was talk a while back before the actor who played Lou Brown passed away that they were looking at doing a true Major League Three where they were going to bring a new crop of players in. And I think you know Charlie Sheen was going to be like the, the old veteran like Harris was in the original Major League. And you know, Serrano was going to be like a coach or something or Jake Taylor was going to be a coach. But then when the the actor who played Lou Brown passed away, I think that put all talks to that. Because you, you would have had to have brought everyone back in order to do it. The only thing I will say that I prefer about Major League Two, if they had incorporated the Jack Partman character from that movie into part one, perfect movie. It would have been great. I I love Major League it was so, oh, Wade says, Roger Dorn, what a prick. See, but the thing is that Roger Dorn played that role so freaking well that you had to love him for it. You had to love him for it. See, actually, um, yeah, I've still got Carlos's list. So the thing with this whole new Facebook Live thing is that I can't go back to the very beginning and read comments. Like, it cuts off after a certain period of time. But it, they seem to have improved it a lot. Like, you still can't go back to the very beginning, but it's not like you can, you know, you can't see past, like, the past 10 comments. They've improved that, thankfully. Uh, my number two is The Big Lebowski. I mean, I've said a lot about this movie on the podcast, but I love Jeff Bridges. I love John Goodman's character. I love Steve Buscemi's character. The plot is a little bit out there, but honestly, I don't think it's too much out there compared to other movies. But everything from the one-liners, especially from Walter, you know, you want a toe, I can get you a toe. I can have you a toe by 3 o'clock. Or, you know over the line or the or John Turturro's character he's like you flash a piece out on the lanes I'll <laughs> take it from you and stick it up your ass and pull the trigger till it goes click uh, even Philip Seymour Hoffman he was great in this movie rest in peace to Philip Seymour Hoffman I, I could do a whole discussion about the big Lebowski and honestly that would make a fantastic roundtable it came out in 98 so there's not like you know, a big anniversary of it coming up anytime soon because 2018 would have been the 20-year anniversary. So let's see, 
2023 would be the 25 year anniversary. So who knows? I might do one at, at some point anyway, but I, I love the Big Lebowski. And of course, number one, it, it had to be Clerks. You know, it's my number two all-time favorite movie, so it's got to be my all-time favorite comedy. Uh, what can I say about it that I have not already said? It's such a relatable movie. It's the movie that really inspired me to want to be a filmmaker. Everything from, well, a lot of the comments I, I won't say because they're, they're very inappropriate, but, you know, there's the, I'll say, and Bill will get this, the number 37. I, I will say that. That's all I'll say about that. But, um, yeah, that's my top 10 comedies. Um, I, I feel like it's a pretty solid list. You know, this is one, like, clearly from my honorable mentions, I could do a top 20. Even from, you know, the the same year. I, I mean, I well, Beverly Hills Cop and Ghostbusters both came out in 84. So I would obviously prefer Ghostbusters to that, but... Still, I I really enjoyed doing this list. Uh, Wade, the dude does not abide in putting Big Lebowski ahead of Major League. Bill, in a row? Oh <laughs> uh, Man, I might watch Clerks again tonight. I haven't seen it in a while, but I, 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 love, I love that movie. And Carlos, yeah, well, that's just like your opinion, man. Oh yeah, Wade, the only three actors to appear in all three movies, Harry Doyle, Pedro Serrano, and Roger Dorn. Because, well yeah, Major League Three is when they went uh, back to the minors. Which I, I don't I don't hate that movie. I actually prefer it to uh, Major League Two, I think. I haven't seen either of those in forever, but what can you do? So let's get to everyone's list here. We'll start off with Carlos Longoria. I've got actually got a couple of lists here in the chat. Uh, Carlos Longoria, his honorable mentions are The Sandlot and Dumb and Dumber. Number 10, Ghostbusters. Nine, Zack and Miri. Eight, Employee of the Month, starring Dane Cook. Seven, Christmas Vacation. Yeah, Christmas Vacation would be up there for me as well. It would have been an honorable mention. Uh, six, Uncle Buck. Five, Office Space. Four, Ernest Goes to Jail. I forgot about the Ernest movies, but that is the best one. Three, Shaun of the Dead. Two, Step Brothers. It's the effing Catalina Wine Mixer. And do we just become best friends? Yup. And number one is Spaceballs. That's a really solid list. Uh, Terry MacGyver, number 10, Pineapple Express, number 9, The Wedding Singer, 8, Mouse Hunt, 7, The Producers, 6, The Court Jester, 5, Gremlins, 4, Ghostbusters, 3, Spaceballs, 2, The Great Outdoors, and number 1 is The Burbs. Uh, oh, yeah, Bill, million fine-looking women in the world do, but they don't all bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. Very philosophical words by Silent Bob. And Fundin tells me to watch Sleeper tonight. I see you left the, the trailer. Uh, I'll, I'll check that out after we, we wrap up the podcast here. Uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, another honorable mention. That's such a fantastic title. I, I love that. So let me scroll through. I got to find Brandon Rutledge's list because he left it 
um, on my on the original event post. And of course, I, I had it. Oh, here it is. Uh, his honorable mentions: Napoleon Dynamite, Dodgeball, a true underdog story, Kung Fu Hustle. All came out the same year as my number five pick. So his number ten is Kung Pao: Enter the Fist, released in two thousand two. That's what he meant. Stars above. Uh, nine is Shrek, released in two thousand one. Eight, Young Frankenstein, released in seventy four. Seven, Ghostbusters, released in eighty four. Six, Clue, released in nineteen eighty five. I love Clue. Clue's a fun movie. Five, Shrek two, released in two thousand four. Four is Rush Hour, released in nineteen ninety eight. Three, Robin Hood Men in Tights, released in ninety three. Two, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, released in 1975. And number one, Spaceballs, released in 1987. Really good list, Brandon. I, I like that one a lot. Man, Carlos, now I want tots. Might have to walk over to Sonic and, and get some tots. I, I've got a Sonic that's like a block down from me, so might uh, might have to do that. Let's see. So now going to everyone's list here that they left uh, here on Facebook. Anna Striano, I would like to submit for your consideration my life. Well, make it into a movie and maybe I will, uh, maybe I'll list it. But um, no, in, in all seriousness, you shouldn't be so hard on yourself. Uh, Wade Vatican, so many tough choices to make to narrow it down to one per year. However, I do have several. He has Caddyshack, released in 1980, National Lampoon's Animal House, released in 1978, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, released in 86, and Monty Python and the Holy Grail, released in 1975. Bob Barrett, number 10, A Hard Day's Night, released in 1964, 9, Young Frankenstein, released in 74, 8, Beetlejuice, released in 88, Seven, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which was released in 1989. Six is Duck Soup, released in 1933. I saw that on a lot of lists today when I was looking up, you know, like top 20 or top 50 best comedies. That was high up on, on a lot of lists. Uh, number five, Good Morning Vietnam, released in 1987. Number four, Ghostbusters, released in 84. Galaxy Quest, 99. Never Give Up, Never Surrender. Two, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, released in 1975. And number one is Arthur, released in 1981. Uh, oh yeah, Carlos, Chili Cheese Tots from Sonic are the best. And Terry MacGyver's honorable mention is is Rumble in the Bronx. I've actually never seen that movie. Uh, let's see. Chris Davis, Honorable Mention, Airplane, and Hot Shots. Uh, Hot Shots was released in 91. His number five, Spaceballs. Number four, Top Secret, released in 1984. Three, Hot Fuzz, released in 2007. Two, Monty Python and Quest for the Holy Grail, 1975. And his number one is Blazing Saddles, released in 1974. Uh, Bill Lyons in chronological order because we all need some stability in these times. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop, 1984. 
The 90s are super hard. I guess I need to try and exclude kids' movies as a separate category and try to not let Smith win every tie. Uh, Grumpy Old Men, released in 93. Coneheads was so close. Beverly Hills Ninja, released in 97. Gone Fishing, a close second. Basketball, released in 98. Analyzed This, released in 99. He notes that American Pie feels more coming of age. Super Troopers, released in 2001. 40-Year-Old Virgin released in 2005, Clerks 2 in 2006, Forgetting Sarah Marshall in 2008, and Get Him to the Greek released in 2010. I have not seen Get Him to the Greek probably since it came out. I've only seen it one time, but I remember it being good. Samantha Owens, Bridesmaids, The Lovebirds, Mean Girls, War on Everyone, and What a Girl Wants. I also know that, I believe that was a famous song named uh, What a Girl Wants as well. Chad Sanders, he is rounding out our list here. In no particular order, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Blazing Saddles, Tropic Thunder, Top Secret, Batman, 1966, totally a comedy. Fight me. I'll actually not fight you on that. The 1966 is totally a comedy. The Birdcage, The Great Dictator, Hail Caesar. That's a good one, too. That one, I feel like, is a little underrated. I saw that movie for the first time, I think, last year. I really liked it. Wayne's World, another classic. And Sorry to Bother You. And he actually... uh, puts honestly now I feel like Tommy Boy should have made the list yeah Tommy Boy I I like it but I haven't seen it that many times believe it or not so I didn't have that sentimental value with Tommy Boy but I I do like it it's actually a a very funny movie Um, let's see Uh, Bill Lyons Ugg forgot Good Morning Vietnam 2 Carlos Longoria, I just bought Top Secret on DVD from the pawn shop a few months ago. I love going to my local pawn shop. DVDs are a dollar and Blu-ray are three dollars. And <laughs> Batman, sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb. And Bill, but what does a girl need? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the next lyric to the song, so you've you've kind of stumped me on that one. But all in all, really good list and good turnout for the live show. I'm actually uh, quite surprised. Let me ask you guys this, because uh, we got a little bit of time, and then I'm going to uh, call it uh, a show as far as the live portion goes. Do you prefer Sunday evening shows or shows on Tuesday nights? I have no real preference, because I'd still, I may still have to do the live shows in order to you know, have a weekly show because I I think things with work are going to calm down as far as just the sheer amount of stuff that, that we're doing. So, um, I I should be good to do, you know, live shows still and not be burned out and, you know, want to kill myself. So, um, before I close out, you know, if a couple of you guys want to let me know what you guys prefer as far as, you know, because I, I have no problem doing Sunday evening shows around this time, like 6 p.m. That way it's not too terribly late. I also don't mind doing Tuesday shows at, you know, 8 o'clock. It, it really doesn't matter. But, um, 
Yeah, I think that's going to be where I call it a show. Um, Carlos says, either is fine with me. I'm usually home at this hour either way, usually. Oh, Wade, a favorite ritual of mine during ballgames the last few seasons is doing the whole dialogue between Tommy Boy and the waitress. And Terry MacGyver, either or works for me. So I'll think on it and uh, we'll, um, we'll see what happens. But because um, I like I said, I really don't care either way, but I'll I'll, um, I'll think on it and I will uh, keep you guys in the loop because I, I really enjoy the live portion of this podcast. So I, I do want to keep doing it just because it, it's a highlight of the week. This and you know doing the live version of Nerd Cave Retro is, is a lot of fun as well. So, um, yeah, for the uh, those who are watching live. Uh, oh, Fundin, it's COVID-19 depression. Get over it. I mean, I've been, I've been over it, Fundin. You, you don't, you don't have to worry about me. So, um, but I, I appreciate it. But I think that's going to do it for the live portion of the podcast. So for those who were watching live on Facebook, thank you guys for tuning in. For those who are watching or listening on the download, stay tuned for my conversation with actress slash model, writer and producer Victoria Vertuga. She's here talking about her latest web series, Disgraced, which is kind of a satire on the film and television industry. It's actually on uh, YouTube and Vimeo right now. So if you guys want to check that out, just search for Disgrace the Series and you guys will be able to find it. But that's going to do it for the live portion of the podcast. Thank you guys and stick around for my conversation with Victoria Vertuga. Happy to be joined with my special guest this week, Actress, model, writer, producer, Victoria Vertuga. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. As we were talking right before we started, I actually just finished watching your new series, Disgraced, for the second time. So really excited to to talk about it. But I, I feel like, you know, if you've done any interviews recently, this might be like a like old hat at this point. But I, I do have yeah. to ask, but how have you been handling this whole uh, COVID crisis because I've, I've been talking with you know several people you know the interviews I've done since this whole thing happened and how they've been dealing with it so how have you been dealing with it yeah I mean it's crazy on you know crazy times for sure um, obviously my industry is totally on pause right now um, so that's a thing <laughs> but it's, what's been really nice is there's been a lot of generosity coming out from um, casting directors and from agents and managers even and from industry people just kind of offering opportunities for everything from like zoom classes to open calls and general meetings and stuff so it's been really cool to see kind of the generosity of spirit of people uh, during this time which has been amazing um, it's been good for me to do like a lot of the housekeeping stuff that I generally put off doing because I just don't have time for it you know updating my website and all that kind of stuff that isn't really super sexy and fun and then obviously one good thing is I'm a writer so you know I don't need to be around people to write which is great so I can I can polish those scripts and kind of be productive in that way but it's weird you know every day is different some days I'm 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 okay and I'm productive and whatever and some days it's just it's just you're not really feeling it you know it's obviously we're going through a crazy time and it's a bit of you know a, 
a morning that we're all kind of going through for life as it was before. So some days you're just not feeling it. And I think that's okay too. But yeah, it's, I'm doing my best to be productive and keep it moving and do the things that I can and take advantage of the opportunities that kind of come up. Yeah. And I think really that's the only thing that you can do. And I was talking about this with somebody the other day, especially when it comes to writing, like you, you mentioned a second ago, I have a feeling that whenever this whole thing ends and we get back to whatever the new normal will be, because that, like, that goes into a whole separate discussion. But Of course. I, yeah, I, no one is quite sure what that will be, right? TV. Yeah, right. But uh, I, I think once things get back to some type of normalcy, I think we're going to see a huge surge in creativity, especially when it comes to, because like you said, if you're a writer, you can still write from home. Yep. So you'll have all these people with different projects, and I think you're just going to see a surge of, you know, all types of, you know, pilots, uh, shorts, you know, things like that. And I, I'm I'm personally really excited about it. Oh, agreed. I think people are going to be chomping on the bit, too, to get back to doing what they love and, and with a renewed kind of vigor and energy and enthusiasm for it, right, which will be great. So I agree with you. I think that it'll be really cool to see what people have come up with. I mean, already, right, just what people are sharing on social media and fun little things that you're seeing. People are being really creative, and, and that's fantastic to be able to do that during this time. No, for sure. So kind of walk me through the beginning of what is it that made you want to pursue a career in the entertainment industry? Is it something that you fell in love with at an early age? It definitely is. It's, it's something I've, I've done my whole life. Um, I come from a family of like creative musicians and all kinds of people um we used to put on these like elaborate talent shows every summer at my grandma's and we would do like songs and dances and she would have a play and she would cast all my cousins in a play and we would do all this crazy nonsense so i loved it and i performed my you know my whole life but i kind of fought it as far as pursuing it as a career goes because it is you know obviously it has its extreme challenges and uh it is so unstable and i thought that stability would be really important for me so when i first graduated i actually worked on the business side of entertainment and i was hoping that that would kind of be a nice halfway point or like you know a way to kind of combine the both where you have the stability but also you're still working in, in the entertainment industry but it really wasn't i really honestly did not enjoy that at all so i'm glad that i did it because it kind of was the impetus for me to actually go forward and do what i really wanted to do and, and pursue what i really loved so i'm glad for that experience for sure and what exactly did you do as far as the business side of entertainment yeah. goes? So I, I went to USC, which is a fantastic school, and they have so many cool entertainment kind of focused programs or whatever. So my major was called music business. So it was basically, I had a built-in business minor, but it was um, a degree kind of on the music business because I also actually write songs, random fun factoid. So I did that, and then I had a minor in um, communications and the entertainment industry. So I actually worked uh, for Warner Chapel, which is Warner, part of Warner Music Group. Um, it's like the publishing arm. So publishers are basically to songwriters what a label would be to an artist. Mm -hmm. So I kind of worked in that capacity with Warner for um, for about a year. And I also then moved over to doing like music licensing for TV. So I worked for about two years in the entertainment industry, like on the business side of it before leaving the to, um, actual time. Well, it's interesting because, you know, people like they think of movies and they only see the the performing side of it like the acting directing and people don't even think of the business side when it comes oh my to gosh. And the movies the business music all that so stuff yeah oh there's so much going on i mean i think that's, that's such a bigger part of it right i mean production is only this like small segment of what's really happening um whether you're producing movies or making music or whatever there's so many things going on behind the scenes so yeah the business is, is side of things is like this huge behemoth for sure no it's they're they're juggernauts they're absolutely juggernauts so once you decide, okay, I'm going to give the, the acting thing a try, how is it that you, you got your foot in the door? 
to, to doing it. Because if I remember uh, reading correctly, you started on Days of Our Lives, right? Yeah, that was my first TV thing. So I actually did, um, I was really lucky when I first started. I, I did commercials and I did a lot of commercials. I worked a ton and and um, that's kind of good and bad, right? Because it's like, oh, this is easy. I can make this happen. But then the commercial side of things really kind of went through a drastic change um, in, the, in the recent years as far as fewer things for your average actor, more things being um, for spokespeople and celebrity type uh Faces for the for the brands, and also fewer nationals running as long, so kind of like change the scope of things that way. Um, and I obviously no one really, well maybe some people do, but I definitely wasn't like I want to be an actor so I can sell shampoo. You know, you you have other goals for sure. <laughs> so I, I went and kind of switched my focus on really trying to focus on film and TV. Um, and so then yeah, Days of Our Lives was the first thing I did, which was very cool. Soaps are very interesting; they're very much their own thing. It's a totally different vibe on set and a different way of filming because it's it's one take for everything pretty much. So you kind of like just show up, you do you're blocking real quick rehearse it once boom take next and you're moving on so it's it's nice because it's very short days for sure but it's also like you know pressure to perform which is cool um and the same year that i first did tv i also was able to be on dexter which is awesome that was like the first show that i was on that i was a fan of so that was really cool because i watched it at home i was like oh my god i'm like opposite i'm opposite dexter and like i'm in dexter's bedroom and like what the hell it was really cool so <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's you know just just grinding auditioning, you know that's kind of how how it comes about. It's funny you you mentioning Days of Our Lives. Like you think of how like frequently soap operas put out episodes. Like I think they only take what holidays off, like Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh yeah, they're they're exactly. And like I said, because because um, part of the reason they're able to do that, or part of the reason they film the way they do, is so that they can do that, which is why they're only doing one take of everything. So they kind of film like in a week. They break it up by location, so they'll be filming for like the next five to seven episodes, like everything that happens in the diner and everything that happens at whoever's house and everything that happens at the hospital. You know, they kind of film by location and like boom, 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 get through that stuff. But yeah, they're there. It's crazy. Soaps are like they're filming, they're moving, they're hustling. That's hilarious because I've wondered about that for years. Because like my mom yeah. grew up watching soap operas, and I was like, "How do they do all this stuff in such a short amount of time?" And now here we are, like you know, twenty five to thirty years later, and now I know. So, the mystery so has been revealed. Yeah, and that kind of also explains why the acting is kind of not really something that people are like, oh, the acting is so amazing on soaps because they don't have the, you know, they don't have the, the 18 takes to get get it done. They're just they have so much dialogue to remember too. Like the the um they don't call them series regulars on soaps, they call them contract players. You know, they're doing so many episodes a day, right? So they're just they're trying to get their lines and they're trying to whatever. So yeah, it's not the the best um environment to do like the most amazing acting performances. So I think that's partly kind of why they get a bad rep for the acting as well, just because they're they are monsters. They are just kind of, turning out content you know it's something you know you mentioning acting something that i've noticed that a lot of actors seem to do once they get you know acting roles and they get experience under their belt they tend to branch out into other aspects of the industry writing's <laughs> one directing's usually one and you know yep. you you did the same thing with with disgrace so what was it that made you want to branch out into that yeah, I think I can't speak for everybody, but I know for me, a lot of it has to do with control. Not to say I'm a crazy control freak, but I am definitely type A. But um, as an actor, there's so little of it that is under your control, right? Everything from whether or not you get the audition to whether or not you book it to how the quality is of the final thing that you've done. Like you're just one little piece of this giant machine and you have so, so little control over the rest of it. So for me, it was really satisfying to step into the writing and producing side of things to actually have control over that kind of stuff, you know, to set the tone 
tone for my set and to write the role that I want to go out for. So I'm not playing hot blonde number three all the time, you know? So like just to really be able to have some say and some autonomy, I think was, was huge for me. So that is kind of like been my favorite thing about stepping over to the, the writing and the producing and the directing side of things is to really be able to, to have more control over the finished product. Well, because you essentially get to, you know, create the sandbox that everyone else gets to play. And especially if you write the story, you you create the puzzle that then everyone has to put together. Exactly, which is awesome. And it's really it's great because I think I think what I found, too, is like the more things that you know how to do in this industry, the the better you can be at whatever it is that you're doing. So just the more of like a. a, a, a what is the word I'm looking for? A sympathetic, like a, an understanding collaborator you can be because you know all the various pieces of the puzzle. You know how everyone fits together and what they're going to need to do their job and it just makes you better at, at what you're doing, you know? So like like uh, acting, you know, makes me a better writer and like directing makes you a better you know, it, actor. It's like all, it's all related, right? Which is really cool. Well, that's something I was curious about too is did your experience as an actor help with you, you know, writing your stories? Definitely. I mean, especially for something like this, too, where it's drawn so much from personal experiences. Right. So obviously I'm drawing from my experiences as an actress in this industry, uh, which is a huge part of it. But yeah, just in general, I feel like acting is great. I mean, on the one hand, on one level, I'm just able to read so many scripts, you know, every every year I'm reading so many pilot scripts, I'm reading so many features. Every time I audition, I'm reading as much as I can trying to get the full script for things. So I have so many scripts available at my disposal that I'm able to read, which is which is great. So I have a very kind of you absorb all that stuff, even if you're not actively doing it yourself. It's just something that you're seeping into your pores and your subconscious and you're like absorbing it right and then also just i know what what i like as an actor what makes it easier for me to do my job in the writing and little pet peeves i have when i get a script like oh they're doing this you know that i don't want to do as a writer so it definitely benefits you that way too it's all all, also very much similarities in terms of character and goals and obstacles in their way you know when you approach that as an actor and you approach that as a writer there's a there's definite similarities in in that kind of aspect of the storytelling right no absolutely so moving on to Disgraced, you know, we mentioned it at the very beginning of the show. Uh, how did you come up with the idea for it? And walk me through like how you got it made and how you came yeah. up with the idea for it. Yeah. So, well, me and my writing partner, um, Eric Williford, we had been working on a bunch of scripts up to that point, just like a bunch of pilot scripts and, and uh, you know, half hour and, and hour long and whatever. And we really kind of wanted to have that satisfaction of completing something. Do you know what I mean? Like actually seeing it all the way through production and doing it ourselves and getting to like share it with people and put it out there. So we wanted to do a web series just because I feel like it's so much easier to get that out to people and, and the little short bite sized chunks. It's easier for people to consume in this day and age when we have no attention span and people are looking for content and stuff. So we always kind of conceptualized it as a web series for that reason um because it'd be just easier to kind of like get the finished product out and then as far as the concept goes we uh, eric has been hearing about my insane stories you know as an actress in this business for so long and we kind of just had the idea of her being someone who had had a little tiny taste of success and and then lost it because that that's so there's something about that that's like so rich and fun to play with it's also just interesting too has how as an actor like i mentioned earlier you're just one piece of the puzzle right but if something bombs it, it's like so awesome and the actors that get blamed for something bombing so that's an interesting thing to play with as well so we kind of basically then just mined my experiences i i came up with i 
created this like insane uh, spreadsheet of all my really worst auditions and not experiences in general. And, and it was really kind of hilarious to dig all that stuff up and look at it on paper like, oh, wow, there's been some crazy stuff. And a lot of that, you know, I totally suppressed and like forgot about because I'm trying to have some kind of self-esteem in my life. <laughs> so it's, it's funny to dig that stuff up and just kind of see what we thought would, would play best, you know, for these episodes and what we can work with. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of simultaneously hilarious and horrifying. <laughs> Both. And then as far as filming it goes, we um, another great thing about be- being an actor is that I know tons of actors. Right. So I, I from class, from projects I've done, from auditions, you know, met tons of people. So I as much as possible like to cast people that I already know because, you know, what they're going to bring to it. You know that they're trustworthy. You know the vibe they're going to bring to your set, which is equally important too. you really want to control the tone of your set and make sure everyone's fun and, and positive and all that stuff. So we pulled from people that I knew as much as possible that we cast. There were some roles we had to cast um, that ended up being amazing too. And that's great. The great thing too, is every time you do one of these, every time you make a project and produce something, you just have a broader audience to pull from next time. You know, more people that you're like, Oh, they, they weren't right for this thing, but they were amazing. And they auditioned for that. And that's, that's amazing. And we also were able to, people were so generous with their locations and, um, we were able to use a lot of awesome locations that people gave us for free. And I have, we and Erica produced a couple shorts in the past and we had a great crew. Um, our, our director of photography actually directed two of the episodes as well. We'd worked with him on multiple things. And so our crew was fantastic and it came together really nicely. It was so much fun. It was really honestly like, sets are so interesting because they have such their own personality and their own vibe and you just feel it the the minute you step onto it and this was just so much fun everyone was having so much fun and just being so generous and it was it was an absolute blast like we really really had an amazing time on this project when you can tell you guys had fun through watching it you know and i think that's what makes projects fun to watch especially ones that i know probably don't have that big of a budget that are, are almost like passion projects in a way but you, you can tell, like, when you're watching actors perform, you can tell when they're into it and when they're yep. having fun. Yes. And, I, and I could tell that through through this series. So that, that made it even more enjoyable. Good. I'm so glad. Yeah, we had we, our cast was so great. And, and that was I think that was kind of the sentiment from a lot of people, too. They really enjoyed their roles. And so, like you said, that there's no way that that doesn't show up. Right. We're having a good time. So that's that's been awesome. How long did it take you guys to shoot it? So I believe uh, it was either seven or eight days. I can't remember at this point, but we had about seven or eight days of filming. We shot in um, like five locations, I think. So we repeated locations for like two different days of filming. Um, Yeah. And they were they were not super crazy long days, but they were, you know, they were pretty packed. And yeah, we just we we pumped it out. (laughs) Do you have a like specific story, like maybe a funny onset story from Disgrace that you'd like to share? One that might stand out above all the others oh there were so many but let's see so when we were filming um hollywood hearts i was part two which is kind of like the fake e type thing with yeah. Derek dash or whatever we filmed um most of the, that on a previous day and then when we were filming the once beautiful woman episode um at that really cool uh workspace we went we found out that there's this rooftop and it was really cool upstairs so we were like oh we should there was like a scene that we wish we had filmed on the rooftop instead so we just asked like can we use this and they're like yeah of course go ahead so we went up at the end of the night during sunset and filmed the like dramatic michael bay slow-mo whatever shot up there uh and it, we had to get up there by this little fire ladder like you know up on the side of this really tall building <laughs> and so here we are like like in a chain uh carrying all the heavy equipment up for our director of photography like praying that we don't 
don't drop it or fall on the rooftop and film it. And then there was an LAPD chopper that happened to be flying by while we were filming. And we're like, oh, no, are they going to like bust us or what's going on? And the guy just like waves at us from the chopper and goes about his business. We're like, oh, cool. We're golden. Never mind. So, yeah, it was cool. It was just a nice combination of things happening to work out for us, which was great. But yeah, and totally worth it because I love those shots from up there. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. No, the you mentioning the the fake like e true Hollywood story, you know, trailer or whatever that that was the way that was put together. I I really liked that was one of my favorites of of that entire series. Yay, uh, mine too. I love honestly that episode from start to finish, like from conceptualizing it to writing it to actually shooting it to editing it. That was like one of my the most fun. It was just so fun from the beginning to end. And I'm and it's it's not always that like when you love something so much in the writing stage that it, it matches your expectations when it's done. But it totally did. Like I love it as much when it's finished as I do writing it. You know, so it's I love that episode. I'm glad you did too. <laughs> one of the more subtle things that I actually liked about it too, and I I learned this because I'm currently doing a, a master class on uh, screenwriting. So, yeah. so in uh, the awesome. fir- I love masterclass. Now it, it's been great so far. Like I, I'm almost, I'm almost done with the first like section of screenwriting. It's just a lot of videos, but they're a lot of fun. Uh, but um, totally. in the first episode, when I think the character's name was Natalie was giving, uh-huh. was giving, you know, her uh, speech outdoors. And then your character and your brother's character are talking inside and mentions, oh, she has 450 Instagram followers. And yep. then and then she comes in and says, oh, well, I have five uh, 500,000 Instagram followers. Then the second episode, you're talking with your friend and she's like, oh, she has 650,000 Instagram followers. I was like, that's genius that Thank you, you, that, that. that you kept you. building we- on it. Yes, every time we talk about it. And those are the kind of things as a writer that you put in there and you don't know if anyone's going to notice at all. But like you think it's funny, right? So I'm glad you noticed it. Because yeah, every time she's mentioned, every time her followers are mentioned, it's up, 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 up. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's almost like, you know, a, a running gag throughout the whole thing. That, and, Definitely. And I, I, I really enjoy that. Plus, I liked that the second episode was all done like in one shot. Thank you for noticing that too. Yes, yeah. it was a wonder. That was that was actually one that I directed, and I had a bunch of ideas for what I wanted to happen in that episode. All of which required uh, locations and budgets that we just did not have. We couldn't make it work, and so I really wanted to have movement in that episode. And so that's kind of why the wonder we came up with the idea for the wonder because it's like, how can we have create movement in a way that doesn't cost us a ton of money or require these you know crazy locations? too and so that's why that's why that came about and yeah that was really fun to do you know we had to rehearse it choreograph it whatever and then just come in and film it yeah when i did my first short a couple of years ago the the climax of the movie takes place at what's essentially like a college frat party and we and we did the whole thing as as a oneer and it was it was a lot of fun to do like it was a little challenging especially because it was my first movie but it it was a blast to do so I, i always like seeing you know, oneers like that. So that that was really cool to see. That's great. It's funny you can I can tell like the film nerds among my friends because the ones who are like, oh, it's a wonder. I'm like, oh, they noticed. You know, <laughs> I'm the average person watching it. It's like I don't know what you're talking about, but that's cool. The people, the film nerds are appreciating the wonder. Yeah. So that's. <laughs> well, I even wrote in my notes, episode two, increasing Instagram number and wonder. Nice. <laughs> so nice. So there you go. <laughs> so. Thank you for- Thank you for getting all of our little inside things that we weren't sure if anyone would pay attention to. So I appreciate that. Well, and it's that like to me, the the stories of like the inner workings of filmmaking, whether it's like the acting side, the directing side, like uh, stories within stories have always appealed to me 
for some yeah. reason. So I, I think that's Same. why the the uh, the story you know really jumped out at me because it's the next um, short that I'm writing is something similar. It's a little bit more of a drama, but it, it has to do with a similar type of story. Yeah. So no, I'm. I'm with you too. I like that too. And like a good satire is always enjoyable. You know what I mean? If it's like like based in truth and spot on, like it, I love it. So yeah. No, that's fantastic. So do you have plans for a second season? So when we did this, we kind of did it just because, like I said, we wanted to be able to actually produce something, get it out there, share it with people, kind of use it as a calling card to kind of show our POV and our style and what we can do. So we would definitely be open to doing a second episode or even adapting it to like a half hour version. Uh, but we're probably we probably won't do it on our own dime again, if that makes sense. So if opportunities arise where we can get the funding from streaming services or whatever, what have you to do it again, we would definitely be open to it. We actually had a 10 episode season um, and we weren't able to film all of them just because of budget reasons so we cut it down to our favorite eight so we have two episodes that we didn't even film already written we have obviously tons of ideas for other things that we could do but it's kind of a thing that we will do it if an opportunity arises but it, we won't like force it because we right. actually have a feature-length horror film that we're working on next that we we're planning to produce later this year obviously tbd on that but um that was kind of next up on the slate so yeah that's a long answer to say maybe <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's just interesting because you know you did leave it to where like, yeah, it could conclude there, but it also leaves a little bit open for a second season. So oh, definitely, yeah, always gotta leave that open, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So as we start to wrap up here, something I always like to ask you know, actors, really anybody who works in the entertainment industry, what is one piece of advice that you have for someone who wants to work in your industry? Yes. I think I was thinking about this the other day, too. I think for me, something that I can share is the power of no, both saying it and being able to hear it. I think there's so much of a tendency to be afraid to say no to something because we just we don't know where the opportunity is going to lead and what's going to come from it and whatever that we just say yes to things that really don't serve us. Right. That we don't really care about or aren't really inspiring us or aren't really going to be helpful in any way. So I think it's really important to be strategic with your time and the energy and say yes to the things that you really want to say yes to. And similarly, not to be afraid of the word no. And now I'm like, please tell me no. I want everyone to tell me no so that I can move on to the person who might say yes. So I think it's it's really empowering to just not be afraid of the word no. That's probably the most unique piece of advice that I've ever gotten. And cool. that's, that actually sounds like a, a great book discussion too, The Power of No. <laughs> a self-help book, The Power of No. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Uh, and last question, do you have any website or social media that you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Yes, absolutely. So you can follow me. I'm just at Victoria Vertuga, my name everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And then the series, you guys check it out. is just at Disgraced the Series. So we're on YouTube. We're on Vimeo. We're on Amazon Prime. Just Google us and you, you'll find us on that worldwide interweb. Fantastic. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. It was great. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. So much fun. Thanks again to Victoria Vertuga for coming on the show. Be sure to check out her brand new web series, Disgraced, which is now available on YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Prime. And thank you to those who joined me on the Facebook Live show this past week where we discussed our top 10 comedy films. I do have an idea for a top 10 that I want to do sometime in the next couple of weeks. Top 10 villains in film. So we'll be doing that on Facebook Live uh, not next week, but we'll definitely be doing it in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned to social media to find out more information on that. 
But for next week's show, I'm going to be joined with actor, writer, director, and teacher Miles Doliak. He'll be coming on the show to talk about his new film, The Dinner Party, which comes out on June 5th. So be sure to come back next week and check out that really fun episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on all podcasting platforms as well as YouTube. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you could leave a five-star review, that helps me become more visible to the podcasting public, which gives me more exposure for the show. So that would be very much appreciated. You can also check out my morning show, The Daily Diamond, which airs exclusively on Facebook Live Monday through Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time, where we discuss all kinds of top five lists. I know we've been doing Disney this week, and we'll we'll keep the conversations going. It's been a lot of fun and really a fun way to, to start the day. But speaking of Facebook, you can follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Podcast. And thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can find all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. <laughs>